0: All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 18, says this. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we were sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are bold. We are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. God, we thank you for the opportunity it is to come and to uh, hear your word and to preach your word. God, we pray that your spirit would lead every, um, every word that comes forth. God, I yield myself to you and we yield our hearts to you as a body. Pray that you would encourage and strengthen us as we look at this passage, that we would find our confidence, our boldness, our hope and the foundation of Jesus and what he's accomplished for us on the cross. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So what we're going to see from this passage is that we have have a permanent hope. And this permanent hope has been given to us uh, by the new covenant, which has restored our identity. And this This permanent hope transforms the way we look at every circumstance and situation that we walk through in life. We're going to see throughout this time that while the old covenant revealed our nature, the new covenant restores our identity. We once were something, and now because of the new covenant, because of Jesus, we are restored to what we truly were intended to be. Paul, in this passage, is sort of piggybacking on uh, last week or last time's passage in 2 Corinthians. Uh, he's, he's continuing to explain some things that he dealt with that uh, in the previous chapter. And those, those two things were this. Uh, the first was that he was sharing with the Corinthians that they need to step forward and forgive this man that had repented of some sin that he committed against uh, the community or against a particular individual. The specifics were sort of are are in debate. We think we know it might be this uh, particular man. Uh, However, some sort of situation came up with one of the men in Corinth. He sinned against the community. He repented, and the community continued to hold that thing over him. And Paul says, okay, Good that you addressed the situation and asked him to repent and, and rebuked him for what he was doing. Bad that now that he has responded uh, well to that and has repented, that you are holding this thing over him. And so uh, we see that he's, he's sharing that, um, that you need to extend forgiveness to this man. You need to make sure that this man knows what his identity now is. He is no longer in that sin. He is now moving forward with this new life. And so he was talking about that, and then he was also talking about this, uh, that, uh, that he and, and those with him were not just peddlers of God's word, but they were commissioned by God through Christ. Verse 17, it says, We're not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And so on those two things, he sort of jumps into this passage Uh, doing a couple of things, defending his uh, confidence and his uh, commission by God to the Corinthians, uh, but also saying and showing us that as Christians, we have moved from an old nature into a new identity in Jesus through the new covenant. And so uh, we see that, that he starts out with this idea that they think that Paul is just like these other peddlers of God's word, We've talked about it many times as we've looked at Corinthians. There are groups in the Mediterranean at this time that would go around and they would speak. And I think the closest thing to this is really stand-up comedians, which I am not one. But, um, but in our day, you know, you, you could go listen to a stand-up comedian. you pay good money to go hear some, uh, some guy tell jokes and make fun of you, probably, <laughs> is what happens. It seems like uh, the, the comedian typically is like a railing at things that we are also struggling with, which is kind of the, the funny thing of it. Um, so you, you pay for that. And, and the same thing would happen in this time in Corinth. They would pay for these philosophers. They would pay them to come and speak of some new philosophy or some new teaching or some new thing. And so as, as the church is being born and as, uh, as Christ is being preached, this new philosophy is being known by more people. And people are taking advantage of that and peddling God's Word, literally doing it for the money. Paul addresses this in Philippians as well. He says they're preaching for another reason— then just out of the motive of, of what Christ has done in their lives, they're preaching for their own gain and somehow to get at me. And he says, I don't really care because their message is accurate and they're preaching the gospel, but I'm just telling you their motive is different than mine. And so Paul is saying here again, we're not just peddlers of God's word. We are men of sincerity. And he goes forward in, in, chapter, in verses three or verses 1 to 3 to sort of explain this. He says, Uh, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? He says, listen, we don't need anybody to write a letter for us and approve our teaching so that we can somehow come to you. Our relationship with you, Corinthians, has been established through our ministry with you. The change that God has made in your life is our letter to you. So we don't have to have recommendations like these guys are bringing. These guys are apparently bringing these letters and saying, look, I've, I've been approved by so-and-so to preach, and, and this, is, this is how it is. And so you guys, you should, you should count on my authority. Paul says, we don't need that. We have that through the experience of the Spirit with your church that we've had so intimately. You are our letter. And he also says, we don't need letters from you. We're not actually looking to uh, gain your, uh, your approval so that we can go do more things. We're not peddlers of God's word, needing letters of recommendation to and from you. That's not what we're in this for. What we're in this for is to preach Christ and to exalt Christ. We're not in it for anything else. We are men of sincerity. <clears throat> Paul says in verses 2 to 3, we don't need those letters. You yourselves our letter of recommendation, you're written on our hearts to be known and read by all. By you, you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul says, my letter of recommendation is not some reference or resume that I carry with me. It is the people that have been transformed and changed by the message of Jesus as it's been preached through me. Paul says, our letter is written on your hearts. Paul moves from this to to speaking of where he finds his sufficiency, because apparently it's not in uh, the the thinking or the approval of men. It is in something else. In verses four to six, he says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul says to them, our sufficiency, our our confidence, our boast is in the Lord. It's not in what anybody else thinks about us. It is in the Lord and in the Lord alone. So Paul clearly states to them that he is confident in his preaching and in his authority to speak into the Corinthians' lives because of the experience they have had with grace through Jesus and the change that has happened in them. His his sufficiency is found in the transformative work of God through Christ. And he's saying to them, you are our letter. The Spirit came to you, changed you. Now you are new people because of what Christ did through uh, what, what Christ did in you. Paul is completely confident in his sufficiency in God and not in anything else. Paul's, uh, Paul's defense of their confidence is further explained throughout the rest of the passage as he starts to compare uh, why it is he finds his confidence in God and not in anything else why that sufficiency is uh, coming from, uh, from God and not from men. And he says, he starts to compare the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, saying, the New Covenant is where I have found my sufficiency. I am sufficient before God because my identity in Christ has been restored to me. Paul, throughout this passage, sort of goes back and forth, comparing uh, and contrasting the, uh, the Old Covenant with the New Covenant. The Old Covenant... Being you know the, the law given by Moses in the Old Testament and all that hangs upon that. The new covenant being our faith in Christ Jesus for salvation. Paul has some very strong words about the Old Covenant. It's uh, he calls it simply a letter, he calls it a tablet of stone, he calls it written with ink, he calls it a ministry of death. <laughs> A Ministry of condemnation, and even with those harsh words, he says that, that this this covenant has glory to it. I don 't know about you, but if I call something a ministry of death i 'm thinking i don't think I want to touch that, you know, uh, but he, he shows us that there is a purpose in it, and there is a reason that God uh, for uh, God used the, the old covenant in our life and in our experience it 's to reveal. Our nature. The old covenant has revealed our nature, that we are broken and separated from God, that we cannot accomplish this on our own. Paul says that um, if the ministry of death carved on letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze on Moses' face because of its glory, which is being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? See, this ministry of death had a glory about it, such glory that as Moses received it, he could not even be seen by the Israelites because of his glowing face in receiving this thing. So what is it that is so glorious about this old covenant that's a ministry of death and condemnation? The glory of it is that it clearly shows us that we don't measure up that we can't measure up, that there's no way for us to attain the holiness of God on our own. The, the word of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant is, is this, that, that we have failed, that we, we, don't, we don't make the mark. The Old Covenant reveals our nature, The Old Covenant is a record of what we've uh, uh, it 's the record of what we 've done and haven 't done, showing plainly that we do not measure to god 's standard it 's the the perfect law distributed to mankind to to show us what it would be like for us to be completely holy and it shows us that we in fact are not holy. the old covenant is is glorious for a number of reasons and um it 's glorious because it 's difference between the the other moral codes of its day. The old covenant was was one that um, pointed this whole nation to dependence upon God and to worship of God and his holiness, but it also was one that uh, that had respect for mankind and 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 was actually more <laughs> more focused on equality of, of people than, it, than any of the other covenants or other uh, moral codes of its day. Its value of, of human worth was greater than any other uh, moral codes of its time. So it is glorious, but it reveals our nature that, that we do not measure to God's standard. But as I said, a couple of weeks ago, Paul was uh, addressing us about how we ought not hold this unforgiveness over the repentant sin- sinner, that we that we shouldn't hold the old covenant over a new covenant believer. He says there's something that has changed between the old covenant, which, which had its purpose and had its glory and had its reason for being there, and this new covenant. He says you now stand in the new covenant. And so don't any longer hold this old covenant over the these believers, this believer. And that's exactly what the Corinthians were doing. Paul had said, hey listen, you need to rebuke this guy. And they said, you're right. And they held the old covenant over him and said, you know, sorry buddy, like you're not forgiven. Even though you have repented, you repented, that's good, but we're not forgiving you yet. They were holding it over him. The fact is we do that all the time we we are very judgmental at heart I don't know if you guys experience this or deal with this but but I sure do Um, you know I've got a mindset of how people are supposed to act and operate in things and I constantly fight judging we've got to stand and we think that our way is the right way to live and and because it's the way we live and so everyone should just like you know be close to what we're doing at least you know uh, and we judge people if they're not measuring up to our standard. We, like, it's automatic in us. And Paul is saying, don't take that old covenant and hang it over somebody else's head. That's not what you're called to do, especially as a believer. <clears throat> we should rather hold the new covenant over one another. See, when we hold condemnation and the ministry of death, though it had its glory over people, we give death to people. When we hold judgment and condemnation over people, we give death to them. That's what uh, verse six, the end of verse six says, basically. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. If we hold the old covenant, the letter, the ink, the the tablets of stone over somebody, we're distributing death to them. Saying, see, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You don't measure up. While there is truth to that, We all know that there's some truth to that. The glory is that that has been removed, and now a new covenant is here. When we hold condemnation over people, we give death. But when we walk in the Spirit, we give life. We have the opportunity to walk with God and give people life. Spirit is, uh, the word for it is, I believe in Hebrew, it's ruach. And it's just basically this breath that God speaks into people. And so, uh, so for us to speak the Spirit and speak to people, we give them life as we speak this new covenant, this blessing that has come through Jesus to them. We have the opportunity to speak life, to give life instead of giving death. When we bring condemnation and judgment, we give out death. But when we bring the Spirit, we give life See, the Old Covenant had its glory, but its glory is emphatically surpassed by the New Covenant. <clears throat> in verse, uh, verse 10, it says this, Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. So Paul says, listen, the Old Covenant had glory, but now, because of the glory of the New Covenant... It appears to have no glory at all. It'd be like this, like if uh, <clears throat> some third graders were out playing basketball on, uh, you know, on the court outside or whatever in the park, they're just shooting hoops, and, and uh, this little uh, third grader schools his friend, you know, he like whips around him somehow and makes this layup or whatever. Um, it'd be like, you know, that, and you know, that's cool, like good job, we're clapping for him for doing that, Whatever. Uh, and then like Michael Jordan walks onto the court and takes the ball and just dunks all over him, basically. It's like, well, that was cool what you did to your friend, but like Michael Jordan jumped all three of you <laughs> to, to dunk the ball. His, his glory far surpasses anything that was of, of uh, relevance there that those kids were doing because of his masterful work uh, and ability on the basketball court. It'd be just like that. And, that's what, uh, and even more so like that in this, in this case. This is what once had a glory and, a, and a, something that you could take awe of and respect for has no glory at all because of what Christ has done now for us. See, because in, in the old covenant, what we had was we're standing in this reality that I do not measure up. And I'm just, hoping that this sacrificial system that I am under and worshiping under um, will accomplish my, uh, my connection to God, that I'll be able to worship Him somehow through this, that at the end, that I'll, that I'll measure up enough to get in, you know. But in the new covenant, we know where we stood, what our nature was, but we now also know that that has been forgiven and, and, and passed away. And our identity in Christ has been restored. While it's glorious, it's truly glorious that we receive a beautiful moral code to live by that we can say, thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not murder. Those things are actually uh, becoming more and more important for us to stand on these days that we actually have moral code that is very good. Um, and we know where it came from. These are questions that people wrestle with all the time, and so that's a good thing, but it's also a good thing that we have been forgiven of those things that we have violated time and time again. It is a glorious thing. Paul calls the new covenant uh, of the Spirit, that it's a tablet of human hearts, that it's a ministry of the Spirit and of righteousness. Paul demonstrates that Uh, in this passage, that we are now free from sin and death because of the new covenant. We have a a permanent hope and we have freedom as a result of the new covenant. Paul says in verse 11, uh, "...for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory." Paul's saying this new covenant is a permanent covenant for us. It's not going anywhere. It's not passing away. The old covenant has passed away and it is gone. But now you're standing in a covenant that is permanent and forever. This is the covenant that is going to last. And he says, since we have such a hope, such a permanent hope, we're very bold. Not like Moses who put a veil over his face. We are bold with this message of Jesus. Jesus. We have a permanent hope now. You see, when, when we have a hope that's not passing away, a hope that's secure and permanent, any circumstance that we walk through is, is now in light of that, not in light of the circumstance. I'm a real believer that the thing that you hope in is going to be your standard of, of peace. Peace. If you hope in things of this world, not achieving those things of this world will destroy you. If you hope in people, (laughs) got a problem for you there. They're under the old covenant. Their their nature is sin, and they will fail you. If you hope in yourself, (laughs) it's even a worse story. (laughs) You're going to fail yourself. If you hope in leaders, they're going to fail you. If you hope in money, it's going to drain, you know? If you hope in the weather, I mean, forget it. Forget about it, right? All these things they fail you. If you find your hope in something that is of this world, it will fail you cuz these things are passing away. But we have a sure hope, a permanent hope, that because Christ has saved us and redeemed us and restored us to the Father, No matter what circumstance we walk through, God has us, and in the end, we are in His arms. And so we trust Him with every single aspect of our lives. Our hope is permanent, and it sets our gaze upon what matters most, rather than these things that will always fail us and let us down. It is a new and a permanent hope, a sustaining hope in all circumstances, Just look at the the various captives of the Bible who had hope, right? Joseph, he was enslaved for years on multiple occasions that were not his fault, and yet he was freer than anybody that put him in jail. He is regularly having dreams with the Lord where he is interacting with God and, and being able to interpret other people's dreams and having confidence that one day God will come through for him. He was freer than anybody in Egypt. And it wasn't because of his circumstances. It was because of his God. Think about John who wrote Revelation. He's there trapped on the island of Patmos. (laughs) He was freer than anybody that put him there either. He is the one that gives us a vision of the new heaven and the new earth. His hope was beyond his circumstances. And ultimately, look at Jesus. He, he's on the cross. And when all appears to be completely wrong and backwards in this world, he has conquered his enemy right there. See, this permanent hope sustains us despite our circumstances. And, and though we appear to maybe be captive, we are actually free because of what Christ has accomplished for us and what God is doing through us. We have freedom. Verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See, the new covenant, this restoration of our identity in Christ, our eternal hope in Him, has freed us from the effects of sin and death which chase us around all day long in this life. The fact is, we have so many lies spoken to us throughout every single day. We have lies from the devil coming to us and saying, you're guilty, you're still under that old covenant, you're never going to measure up, you're never going to be as good as God wants you to be. Those are lies. They're straight from Satan. He is trying to discourage you and hold you back from the identity that you have in Christ. And the truth is, we can simply ignore him and say, you're wrong, Satan. I am not that way. I stand in the new covenant. I am redeemed. I am restored to God through Jesus Christ. And I will stand on that. You can speak that directly to him as those thoughts come into your mind. as He places those doubts in you. So he lies to us. People lie to us. All the time. Tell us, oh, you're doing a great job. And then tell the the other person that, hey, they're actually not doing a great job. You know, I mean, people lie to us all the time. They either uh, do it in a discreet manner or they do it straight to our faces, right? People lie to us about uh, who we are and what we can accomplish. They doubt us. They they, um, discourage us most of all we lie to us (laughs) we lie to ourselves we say this mountain is too big for me this road is too long you know there's just no way that i'm going to be able to accomplish this thing and who are we to say that when god has called us to it who are we to call a mountain too big that the lord has led us to who are we to call a road too long that the lord had has us on See, we're lied to by the evil one, we're lied to by people around us, we're lied to even by ourselves. But in Christ we are free from those lies because we know our permanent hope is in him and he has given us freedom from those things. We can stand on the fact that Christ has redeemed us and before God I stand righteous. And so every circumstance that I'm in, I don't have to listen to the lies about who other people think I am or who the devil thinks I should be or who I think I am. I stand bold in Jesus that he is accomplishing something great in me. And that's the confidence that Paul is displaying to them here, saying our sufficiency is not from the people around us. Our sufficiency is from God who has sent us Jesus to restore us back unto him. Our sufficiency is, is in God, it is a permanent hope that we have through Jesus. And because of Jesus, our identity is righteousness. Sin and death no longer have a hold on us. Though we'll always struggle with that nature, we stand confident in defeating it. It has been defeated on the cross. So when those lies come, we can say, get out of here, you're a lie we can stand on the identity that we have in Jesus. We don't need to commend ourselves. We don't need letters from others to commend us. We simply need to trust in the God who has saved us through Jesus. Let's go with these few things. First, we have a permanent hope our hope is completely secure in Jesus. He has assured it for us. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We don't see everything's fulfillment yet. Okay? We're always still struggling through these circumstances but God has accomplished it. And that's what faith is. That's what stepping out on faith is in our lives, is being sure of those things that are hoped for. We know this, that God has good for us in this life that we are to walk in. And it might look like a mess and it might be hard to walk through, but he has defeated it and he has accomplished it on the cross. And we have a permanent hope in him that these things have been paid for and they're done. And we stand in that. We have a permanent hope. We're free from the old nature. The old nature that that, uh, we were walking in sin and separated from God, it is gone in the name of Jesus. And when temptation comes and when guilt comes because we tripped up, we can say, get out of here. That's not who I am. I reject it in the name of Jesus and I'm going this way. We're free from the old nature. And finally this, We never, never stop growing. We never stop growing. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. As we behold the glory of God in His Word, in our community, in our worship, we're being changed from one degree of glory to another. We never stop growing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the new covenant, God, that that we stand righteous before you, that we don't have to depend on how good our works are or what we've done or have not done, but that we depend simply on what you have accomplished for us on the cross. We pray that this message would, would go forth in this community, that We don't hold ourselves to some gold star standard of living. We hold ourselves to the cross and cling to it with every fiber of our body. It is our permanent hope. It is our secure hope that you have assured for us that Jesus has paid our debt that we are saved. That we stand in Him righteous before you, that we can come to you with every problem that we have and boldly lay it down at your feet. Got to pray that we would walk in that this week, that we would walk free of the old nature, that we would walk in the Spirit of the Lord. It's in His name we pray. Amen.